Don't let the noise bury the lead. I'm your host, Tom Frank. Join me on Into Focus as K-Global brings you one smart take on a major communication story from the week that was. We read between the lines so you don't have to and unpack the strategy or lack thereof behind the news. Hey, listen, High Roll is back. It's time to rescue the kingdom in distress again. On Friday, May 12th, Nintendo released the legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom, to great fanfare. And the launch was huge, to say the least. It sold more than 10 million copies in the first three days on the market, taking the record for fastest-selling Nintendo game on the continent. If you're asking yourself, wait, that Zelda? Congratulations, you're old enough to make it to the nostalgia phase of life. When Nintendo released the OG game in 1986, it propelled the company to the top of the video game market, where it has largely remained ever since. Its reintroduction of Link, our protagonist on his quest in in 2017 with Breath of the Wild, was an immediate smash hit, not only winning Game of the Year, but eventually occurring 30 million unit sales. One major innovation Breath of the Wild introduced to the gaming world was an open-world experience, with the players making lots of decisions about how they approach the goals of the game. This new type of game resonated with many different personalities. How? Why? What caused such mass appeal? Here to give me insight that I clearly do not have are two regulars on the podcast, senior content strategist Amy Rogers and Ian Cunningham. So please provide me some insight on this, what I deem to be absolute craziness for a game that is, what, 30, 35, 40 years old? I mean, 1986, so, you know, I had to do the quick math. Yeah, do the quick math. I mean, it's been around the majority of my life longer than you've been around and then yeah Yeah. and in some form or another yeah Yeah. but I mean for my age group being in our you know late 30s mid 40s uh this is our childhood in a big way I mean we all played it um and going to the open world part that you mentioned uh exploration was always a big part of it the the first game drops you into like one little map and there's a little doorway you walk through and a guy gives you a sword and says be safe basically and then you just have to figure out what you're doing. And this was the first yeah. of its kind to actually it, do this because maybe not normally the first, first kind of. It was really the. I one mean, of the, yeah. one of the first. Like of that era, video games were always very much, uh, you know, hop hop platformer or point A, like, point you know, B, point B, and then, move on and then to the next. yeah, that kind of thing, or puzzlers of some kind or mm-hmm. another. But this one really sort of opened it up. It had um, nice music, accessible storyline is a big part of it. I mean, it put you in the driver's seat too, yeah. like yeah. for exploration, but also for. Figuring out the game. I mean, not you weren't doing the exact same game as your friend down the street who was playing it. Like yeah. You had a different experience. I think yeah. that made it so addicting. Yeah, and you'd find different things versus a friend of yours. You'd be like, "Hey, which which dungeon are you?" And like, I don't, I don't know that one. And you know, then your buddy would have to come over and show you how to do it because you couldn't text them back then. So this came out in 1986. The first one. The yeah. first one. And is this the second version or is this? This is like 29th. The 29th, but why yeah. Why was this one in particular such a huge seller for Nintendo? Uh, I think uh, a couple things came uh, have come into a confluence for Nintendo that are really good for it. One is it, it's just a popular title. It's been a popular title for a very long time. They've iterated various versions of it over the years to varying successes, but almost all of them really good successes. The other is the sales for the Switch uh, units. I think there have been... 26, 126 million Switch units sold since it came out in 2017. Wow. Um, yeah, so worldwide. And then a huge bump of those happened during the pandemic. So a lot of people had Switches. So it's like, all right, I want a new game for this thing. And then 
Breath of the Wild was fun. Everyone freaking loved that. So they see this new version. Okay, let's get into it. And the hype got big. Uh, but mostly not from a lot of advertising on Nintendo's point. I think partly it's due, at least from my casual user experience. Don't lie. You, you sit around all day, every day. I'm not play. talking about Animal Crossing. Oh, okay. That, that's Although, a different story. That's a similar story. It is a similar and, story. Yeah. We haven't had an exciting game for the Switch in a while. Yeah. I mean, since the pandemic popped off, we haven't had anything since then that's really worth getting excited about, at least in my opinion. Ian might disagree, but I think that's partly why this was a breath of fresh air. Why, why is this one different than past? Uh, it has a lot of similarities to uh, Breath of the Wild in the way it's open world. Um, the music is very similar. Sound effects are very similar. Anybody who's like picking up this game and remembers Breath of the Wild very well, they're going to see a lot of very similar things. But there's new gameplay elements. And one of the more interesting and amazing things that's probably helping sell the game is there's a crafting element in the game. P- people can take like one unit of a thing and put it together with another unit of the thing and they're making aircraft and catapults and robots and stuff in this that the game developers kind of probably knew people could do but when you give something to the players and millions of players at a time you start seeing this aggregation of just crazy ideas and so these are populating out tiktok and youtube videos and let's plays and people are just wanting to do these crazy things themselves so they want to buy the game Discord and yeah. Reddit, like I mean, yeah. it generates a lot of conversation yeah. too. Once you have that kind of capa- like capa- capability for creativity in the game, yeah, people are just really excited to be part of it themselves. So that's probably why it it uh, sold ten million copies in its first three days. How many people out of ten do you think actively play either Zelda or video games regularly? I want to. S- oh, jeez. I don't know the answer. I, I honestly, I there. no. I honestly should probably know this given my professional history. But um, I'd say it's higher than you think based on the demographics that you think. A lot of the profitability of video games comes from mobile video games, where you have uh, people who about ten percent of the population of mobile game players pay for about ninety percent of its profitability. These are people who pay that buck in Candy Crush to win. Now this is a different. And you're you're including all games. In the if game. I, if I include all gamers, it's probably close to like eight and ten people play video games. I would say that. Yeah. I was wow. going to say at least of seven. some kind. Yeah. 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 Now, if somebody's like hardcore enough to like have a Switch, well, what did I say? There's 126 million Switch units sold. Now that's just the Nintendo Switch market. That's 126 million people out of a population of seven billion on the mm-hmm. planet. So how many? What's the measurable percentage of people playing Legend of Zelda right now? Well, I mean, versus the total population of Earth, rather small. But versus the media and attention being generated by it, based on the way our media systems work, it's huge. Interesting. So it's time for you to join. I I might have to join. I got a quote for you. Robert Ebert famously said that video games can never be art. He eventually said they should have kept that to himself. But the truth is that you don't move this many people to spend this much time playing and doing and building without love for the art and story. What is it about these video games, and in this one in particular, that just creates this rabid fan base? I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is Escape, which I think this conversation, again, not to go back to the pandemic, but really was put into stark like relief when we were all looking for an escape from our homes and from quarantine. Um, but this has always been true. People will have, as long as people have been speaking out loud and communicating with each other. We have escapes and stories. 
This is not a new tale at all or a new human phenomena. And it just takes different mediums. I think what's so compelling about video games and ones with such rich worlds and universes like Zelda is you really become immersed. And if you have great equipment or like a really great TV, right, that only just deepens the immersion physically and mentally. And you can just spend hours in an alternate universe where you're not worried about your bills or your ex who just broke up with you or your friend that you're mad at or the work deadline you're ignoring, right? You can just escape. And I think that's a large part of appeal for people, especially casual gamers. It's the art of the escape. Yeah. And then, dovetail on that, they make, especially this game, look exceedingly pretty. I mean, there's been a lot of attention to just the way the world looks that you're going around it encourages so than past games uh i would say so yeah even sort of more so than breath of the wild which was probably it's the next greatest comparison to this there's other games out there that are very large and open world and a good open world game is designed to make you want to see what's over the next hill and Tears of the Kingdom does that exceedingly well. You're going into this knowing that there's this giant world that has now been, in in the story of the game, it's been sort of turned upside down, things have been lifted, there's a sky level, there's a mid-level, and there's a whole underground, like, you know, catacombs to explore. And you just realize just how big they've made this map and what's out there to explore. So you can get sidetracked from the main story and spend an entire evening just (laughs) trying to search for little hidden gems that they've made and things like this that the game designers have hid in certain places. And it's that sense of wonder and storytelling that, you know, you're following, like, some... You go to a village, and the guy says, I need you to catch all my chickens. And so you spend, like, a half hour, like, running around the village, like, trying to catch little chickens and stuff. And it's it, it's silly on its outset, but you realize that you... It does sound a bit silly. It does sound a bit silly. But it's that um, uh, little crocodile brain task accomplishment uh, set in a very like pretty that. environment. How does VR play a role in this? It does it at all. It's not a VR game. Yeah. Will it, or what's the next step? I mean, how did, I mean, we're getting real close. You're saying getting trapped in an experience or lost yeah. in an experience. I mean, we're kind of riding that fine line right now that that right. would be the ultimate get lost in experience. I mean, very much so. Uh, VR, I mean, there's been so many uh, over the past, like, what, you know, 10 years or so, iterations of different companies trying VR things. And some of the larger uh, RPG role-playing game-style games, they haven't really caught on, caught Why? on. Why do you think they haven't caught on? I if, think if, they, if the experience is to get lost I just think ways. the technology is not necessarily there yet with VR because you still have to have goggles and a handle and handles, and you can't move very far. Mm. Whereas in a game like Zelda here... You're, you get a horse in the game, or several horses, and you can ride for kilometers and kilometers and kilometers, and you know, you're going and going and going and exploring all this new stuff. It's kind of a little hard to do that when you're restricted to a space the size of your living room to simulate that for somebody really moving. Okay. Yeah. Well, so. That makes sense. But I think we're getting there. I mean, even if you take a step outside of video games, right? Like I just went with a friend to Disney, and the Avatar world they've built around that is unreal with how they're actually building physical structures but then like some of the rides like you're not actually going anywhere other than in your mind like you you sit on this one ride and you don't really move but they move the seat and blow air and water at you it's like one of those 4d experiences and honestly you can kind of forget that it's not and i I will say something about the way uh disney engineers ride like that is probably a little bit more immersive than some of the vr systems i've seen right i think we'll get there we're getting there yeah video games yeah 
But again, going back to like Roger Ebert's point, like he never recanted that statement about video games. Oh, not he got being attacked. A, online, he got attacked though. viciously, <laughs> and Roger Ebert was really wrong to make that statement because he just discounted um, the love and artifice that somebody puts into something they're making. And certainly, Pong is about as basic as you get. But there's a subtle art in Pong, especially when you look at it through the modern sort of, you know, postmodern view of art. And you realize this simplicity and elegance of a game like Pong. Now, Zelda's a lot more advanced with a lot more going on. But that doesn't mean like there isn't some truly elegant art behind it. Oh, I 100% agree with that. Yeah. So as marketers, kind of bringing yeah. it back around, what can we learn from just how excited people get from a video game release? Like, what should we be learning from that, no matter who our client is? I think for this one, it's a big respect for the legacy of your audience. Mm -hmm. You know that you've got people like me who have been fans of this property for decades. And, you know, uh, treating that with respect, showing them that you're not just going to, you're going to innovate and do new things, but you're not going to just throw up a new title for the sake of, oh, here's another offering. Give us now $10 million more. And also, story matters. You cannot ignore how important the story is for your audience. I mean, especially in a world where everyone is fighting for everyone's attention, you're not going to cut through the noise with, like, just bland copy or, you know, catchy graphics, whatever. Like, you have to wrap them into their into your story and also make them feel like a part of it, And I, like Zelda does. They're a part of building it together. It really just comes down to that whole marketing thing of understanding your audience, who they are, and having some modicum of respect for them and telling a great story, a great which story. I think is the, yeah. is the thing we're seeing pop up everywhere. It's why yeah. people are self publishing so much. It's documentaries mm -hmm. are through the roof right now. Podcasts like this, where we're telling stories, where we're telling other people's stories, where we're looking at that stories and trying to kind of figure things out. I mean, it's all about great, great storytelling. Mm -hmm. Even like TikTok influencers are dropping products in stories about their day. Mm -hmm. like I saw a brilliant one the other day. She was dropped a very casual mention of a product in her story about getting hit on at a coffee shop. You know? Although that's kind of a throwback to the early days of radio and television advertising where they would have serials or television shows. Like you can see old clips of the Dick Van Dyke show where he'll be like, yeah, and so I'm going to pause and have this nice sip of Tiger Brand coffee. <laughs> the pandemic popularity of the Switch combined with a title whose roots go back to a golden age of home gaming resulted in a magic mixture for Nintendo and for gamers of all kinds. Hyrule is waiting for you in moments of frantic excitement and quiet exploration. And when you load the title screen, it doesn't just say Tears of the Kingdom, but also Once Upon a Time. Please subscribe to Into Focus on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Give us your take on Instagram at kglobal.com. That's kglobal, D-O-T-C-O-M. And if you like the show, leave us a rating on Apple. Into Focus is brought to you by the good people at K-Global. Unlike traditional marketing agencies that look at consulting, creative, and communications as distinct, K-Global exists at the intersection of all three. The fusion of strategy and creative fuels unexpected solutions and better outcomes. The result is impact on your audience in a new market or over a policy. Learn more at kglobal.com. And until next week, I'm Tom Frank, and thanks for listening. Hey.